Welcome to another episode of Crystal Myth with your host Leslie Anderson and Hello, I'm Mark Dornan. Yay! So this week we are going to talk about cryptids, which I find hard to pronounce. <laughs> um, <laughs> cryptids or cryptidology is the study of sort of undiscovered animals or mythical creatures that haven't been scientifically proven to exist yet. What do you say? Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think that would be accurate. Um, I I love cryptids. <laughs> yeah, um, I studied zoology when I first went to uni, when we both uh, first left school before I studied mythology, because I just like to do geeky things. And yeah, I think part of the reason I went to study zoology is because that's the part of zoology that I, and I imagine lots of people who actually work in the field, find interesting because cryptozoology obviously links to what we're doing like it is a type of mythology but actually were it not for cryptozoology were it not for people going out and looking for animals in remote places then we wouldn't have discovered quite a lot of the the animals we had like there's definitely a a big crossover between cryptozoology animals that we think exist and then zoology animals that it turns out actually do exist so like i always thought the dodo was a bit of a a weird one because that did actually exist but it's such a weird looking animal that i just can't believe that it actually did exist at one time and even when i went into the um natural history museum in in london and they've got an actual i don't know whether it's a real one maybe it is of a, a stuffed dodo and i just think that just looks like someone just created that and like a, a studio or something yeah. <laughs> it just looks so ridiculous i can't believe that was real <laughs> I think platypus is a really similar one as well, that, yeah, it, it doesn't look like it should be an actual existent creature. And going back to, like, two weeks ago's episodes, one of my friends from when we were younger was, when I met her, part of a biblical literalist cult. Uh, her dad's actually a biblical literalist preacher. Fortunately, she's now no longer in said cult, which, you know, yeah, good for her. Um, but, yeah, when I first met her, I can't remember why we ended up talking about platypi, platypuses, platypi, I think. And yeah, she was like, well, quite clearly they're not real because one, they're against God because (laughs) they show that there are like evolutionary links between birds and mammals and that isn't real. And also two, like exactly as you're saying with the dodo, because one of the other people in our group was like, have you not seen the the platypus in uh, the Kelvin Grove gallery? And she was like, yeah, but clearly that's just like somebody who's stitched a bunch of stuff together. And I'm like, on the one hand, you're mad. But on the other hand, kind of see where you're coming from. And also when they were first discovered or when the the platypus was first presented to whatever society it was, scientific community, didn't they think that it was made up and stitched together from different animals? Like it was some sort of hoax? 
Yeah, and the, I believe the Royal Zoological Society. Yeah. So, and I'm going to actually, as we go through this, I'm going to bring the Royal Zoological Society into it a little bit. Um, but yeah, when I was looking at their, not their work on cryptids, because actually, again, quite a lot of people have gone to investigate cryptids in remote areas and they've turned out to be true. And yeah, like, I don't even like nine times out of ten, like ten times out of ten, they're ridiculed by the Royal Zoological Society and the platypus would be an example of that where, yeah, even like acclaimed biologists mocked the people who first brought specimens home and yeah, effectively were like, <laughs> he just stitched a duck and a beaver together, shut up. I think back then as well, it was like, if we find an animal, can we eat it? Maybe that's that's why the dodo went out of the, <laughs> went into the extinction because they thought, wow, oh, this, I'm going to, A, the, the dodo didn't, hadn't seen any humans or anything, so it wasn't afraid of anyone, so it was really easy to catch. And then they just thought, fuck it, we'll just eat these creatures. I think with turtles as well, there was like a lot of, um, I think there was a species of turtle turtle that might have went out of like, existence because they hunted it to death because they wanted to eat it. Yeah, you're, and that's where mock turtle soup comes from. Yeah, you're you're right. It was I can't remember the name of the type of turtle, but it was like you could boil it in its own shell, and they they mm. we ate it into extinction. Same with the dodo. Uh, same with the elephant bird. I think it was its eggs an that were apparently delicious. So what the hell is an elephant bird? I need to look that up. Oh, I'll I'll put one on the Insta. Um, <laughs> crystal myth podcast on instagram but yeah you should look one up like elephant birds are are fascinating they're basically like huge ostriches like they were absolutely massive and yeah when humanity first discovered them we wiped them out i'm just going to make a fact up now because i can't remember the time scale we wiped them out within 20 years and um, but yeah they were wiped out really rapidly because apparently their eggs were delicious so we were just like i oh, will eat all their eggs oh they're all dead <laughs> Because humans are terrible. When we're talking about this, it makes me think of... I keep thinking of that line in... I don't know if ever, anyone's ever watched Brass Eye, but there was a line in it where they said, there's no real evidence for it, but it is scientific fact. And that's <laughs> what makes me think about, about cryptics. You know, when people say they've seen Bigfoot and everything and insist they're real, but they don't have any actual evidence for it, but insist that it is scientific fact. Do you think in remote areas, humans are cryptids to the animals that live there? Like the elephant birds would be like, you have to be careful, young, young, expectant elephant bird where you lay your egg. Because have you heard the tale of the terrible hairless monkey? (laughs) (laughs) It's dead in the dead of night while you sleep and eats all of your children. (laughs) That's horrific. But that's quite a, a yeah a good way of putting things into their perspective. Yeah, we are. <laughs> the, the I mean, humans are monsters. Essentially, we are the monster. What is your um, first cryptic that you would like to talk about, Mark? I'm very uh, interested. First cryptid that I would like to talk about is the eight vara. Have you ever heard of the eight vara? Say that again slowly. Eight vara. Eight vara. How yeah. do you spell that? I'm sorry, I just I don't know. I feel like we're doing a spelling bee now. <laughs> Can you use it in a sentence? A I T V A R A. Oh, okay, I've never heard of that. So, what well, kind of creature is it? Is it land, air, sea? That that ties up nicely, Leslie, with my very first note because that's the first thing I've written down. Um, the eight vara is a a woodland cryptid. You could argue it's an air cryptid because it can fly, but it lives in the woodlands in Lithuania and Latvia. I am just going to present this like it's fact, by the way, so not 
Scientific <laughs> fact? Yeah, it's scientific fact. It lives <laughs> in the woodlands of Lithuania and Latvia. So the Vara has a body like a cross between a crow and a rooster, which when I read that, I'm finding that very hard to picture. I'm like, does that just mean it's a it's a big crow or it's a small rooster? But anyway, it has a body like a cross between a crow and a rooster. Um, it's covered in black feathers. They don't have a beak and their face is more like that of a grass snake than a bird. Which, looking at the pictures, like the sketches of it and kind of reading that, it brings to mind, like, you know, to go back to our chat of the Natural History Museum in Kelvin Grove Gallery, when you look at early flying reptiles that had feathers, I feel like that's quite a good description of them. Didn't they say that dinosaurs, pretty much all dinosaurs had feathers back then, but they just because of that feathers somehow don't, they're not preserved like skin is in fossils that they didn't really see that. So they just imagined all the, all the dinosaurs to have like kind of lizard skin instead of some feathers. Yeah, I think it's like a recent paleo, paleontological. Paleontological. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's a made up word uh, discovery but yeah um, I think like maybe within the past like 15 to 20 years they've discovered that the majority of dinosaurs did have feathers so yeah in my head maybe it's a wee flying dinosaur or a descendant of a wee flying dinosaur because I thought yeah crow-ish roosterish body covered in feathers and a face like a grass snake rather than a bird kind of sounds a wee bit like a, a little dinosaur it sounds quite flamboyant well let me get to the flamboyance. So their tail, either, depending on who you're talking to, because there's two different versions of this, is fiery red. So yeah, the rest of them is black. They've got this little lizardy face. And then they've got this huge fiery red tail. Or some people say that its tail is actually made of fire, which means that when they're spotted, due to them being nocturnal creatures and the fact that, you know, they're nocturnal, they're only out at night, they're almost entirely black. So when they're spotted out in the woods at night, it's normally just the tail that you see, either because it's such a bright colour or because they're on fire, which I suppose would be quite eye-catching. So when did these, when did people first discover or start seeing these things and when was it reported? Uh, Good question. Do you know, I don't think that I actually noted the date down anywhere, so that will remain a mystery. Um, It goes back to pre-Christian Europe, uh, definitely. Like, it goes back at least a few hundred years before Christianity arrived in Europe. Um, I know that because some of the information that I'll go on and discuss about them talks about when Christianity arrived and the influence it had on the belief but I'm not sure exactly when the the folktale started surrounding it. I think there's almost an idea that they've just kind of always been there. Like, again, the way with sort of cryptids, I think quite a lot of people, especially traditionally in these countries, actually did believe in them. And there's still people now that believe they definitely exist. So I suppose I don't know exactly when the story started, but if we're looking for a kind of starting point for them, I guess that'd be quite tricky because it would be like saying... When did people start talking about, I don't know, pigeons in Britain? <laughs> I wouldn't know the answer to that. It just makes me think of Jack Duckworth from Coronation Street. <laughs> or or the inventor of pigeons. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but obviously people knew about them and they recorded. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about them right now. Like, there's, um, like, I guess there's, like, drawings of them. I don't think there's any photographs of these things unless they claim that there's a light in the sky and that's one of them. That's exactly what the photographs are. So yeah, you're right, there are photos, but the photos are of 
sort of red light or a bright light moving in the sky or moving over the woods. Any of the images we've got of them are just sketches of them. But yeah, definitely it seems like in folklore it goes back like quite a long way, almost as long as people have lived in Europe, there certainly seems to be talk of these creatures existing in some specific woodlands in Europe. Would you like to know what they're like in case you want yeah. to? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so if you were thinking of adopting one. Yeah, I mean, are they um, sinister? Are they, are they quite friendly? Or do they hunt people's livestock? Get into that. Um, so, no, they're considered to be friendly creatures and quite shy. So, again, they're nocturnal. They only come out at night. They tend to try to avoid people. One of the descriptions that I really like that I read of them is that they're believed to be mischievous like kittens, which I thought, oh, that's cute. And I feel like that's quite a good description of something. I'm like, right, I can imagine what they'd be like if they're friendly, a bit shy and mischievous in a similar way to what a kitten would be. Um, they're considered to bring you good luck. So if you do get into contact with one, that would be a good thing because it's supposed to be lucky. One thing that they tend to recoil from that they think is bad is they don't like greed. And for that reason, they were more commonly spotted before the arrival of Christian churches in Europe. So this whole rough date that I've got, um, that's where it comes from. So I know that there's a sort of link in paganism in Europe and the idea that the sightings of these creatures became less and less, the more of the influence of the church because of the greed of the church and taking over areas and in seizing gold and taxes and so on. And that would cause these creatures to become shyer than they were before because they don't like greedy organisations. I find that really hilarious, the concept of an animal disgusted with human greed. <laughs> why, why the fuck would it care? <laughs> <laughs> also quite like that they're kind of described as being quite cute because I feel like if you were to describe a cryptid as being like intelligent and like, I don't know, with a kind of vicious streak and with the, you can imagine it like on its soapbox being like, you should stay away from the church. They're digging your taxes for no reason. But yeah, that's like some little sort of... Um, kind it's kind of like... Lizards. Like, it's kind of like if you went to the, the jungles of Borneo and and found a, a orangutan and then the orangutan seen you and then turned its back on you in disgust because it didn't like your backpack. <laughs> Or really, it's more like if you went to the jungles of Borneo and an orangutan turned its back on you in disgust, and then you were like to your guide, oh, why does it not want to communicate with me? And they were like, you're rude. Exactly. <laughs> you're rude. Orangutans, you're rude when they see it. <laughs> it's a heavy one. <laughs> That's funny. So it's like an indicator of, um, well, I would imagine that these creatures, what are they called again? I forgot their name. Eight varas. The eight eight varas. Yeah. So like the number eight and then varas from Game of Thrones. That's how I try and remember it. One of the sort of bits of folklore surrounding them is that if you try to steal the wealth of others, which again ties into this whole they don't like greed, and it's very clear from the folk tales that that means if you are lazy greedy so-called landowners who do nothing and take from the people, the eight vara might put an itch curse on you. So a curse that makes you constantly itchy and or burn your house to the ground. <laughs> With their fiery tails. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, it seems to be a very just little creature because when it's talking about, or not when it's talking about, they can't speak, but when people are talking about the idea that they don't like greed and they don't like you taking the wealth of others, it's definitely not a, a taking the wealth of others like 
you're not working hard enough, I'm trying to run my company. It's very much like uh, this person's running their company and they're making millions of or billions of pounds a year and they're paying all their workers minimum wage. The VARA would be disgusted. Like, it will make you itchy, which, you know, again, I like. I feel like they make a good pet. I kind of want a, a little socialist pet that goes out and burns down Tory houses. I don't know how you would feel about that, but any thoughts? I mean, it would probably be a good sidekick to have if you're sort of some sort of socialist superhero that wants to go around burning Jeff Bezos's house down. <laughs> so I was one. I really like that idea. Socialist Vara. Or you could just take it to petty levels and think, oh, my neighbour's been spending far too much in their garden recently. I'm fucked off with that. I'll just send my little cryptid eight Vara around to burn it all down. But then that's what I liked about the sort of specification of what it gets annoyed about because I feel like from the, the folk tales, if you were like, go burn Boris Johnson's house, it would be like, I sound. But if you were like, go burn Agnes down the street's house, she's always showing off, they'd be like, no, Agnes works hard for her money. If she wants to buy a new bench and put it in her garden, she can buy a new bench and put it in her garden. What's your problem? It sounds, like, it sounds like a little Pokemon or something. Yeah, make it into a Pokemon. He totally would make it a better Pokemon than most of the shit that they come up with. <laughs> Every time you let it out his ball to battle instead of battling, like you're like fight the Pikachu and it just flies off. You're like, oh, where's it gone? It's gone to burn Tory houses. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only Pokemon battle it's interested in. <laughs> So is there any more information about I mean, I, I don't know. I think that uh, if they hate greed, they'd be raging all the time because how greedy this society is these days. Yeah, like maybe the reason that we don't spot them as much nowadays is because they have absolutely no interest in humanity because humanity is ruled by greed. I've got a couple of other, in fact, I've got, I've got three other facts. Uh, I've got a wee story. And I also want to tell you about where baby eight varas come from because uh, I know that you're really into your like sexual health stories and, and like that about cryptids. Um, so three wee facts for you are one, if an eight vara is injured, it can wallow in mud and that heals itself, which I thought like, oh, cute, like good power. But also I like the idea that they're just in the woods like, I, a farmer, shot my leg off, so I'm just going to sit in the mud until it grows back. Two, in many Christian paintings from ancient Lithuania and ancient Latvia, Vara are depicted as the pets of Satan. Oh, yeah, Satan's got good taste. <laughs> yeah, but that's just the Christians trying to, like, you know, piss on really cool animals that don't like them. So it's always like, oh, it's Satan, Satan's, Satan's pet, you know, but Satan's, but then it just makes Satan look even better than they are. Makes Satan look more appealing. I feel like anywhere where it was presented, it was kind of like, are the eight vara good or are the eight vara evil? But yeah, very much my reading of it was like, oh, like Satan can't be a bad guy if he's got pet eight varas. Like, sounds so cool. And then I was kind of wondering, well, I'm sure we can work out without me even explaining where that comes from. But it, it basically comes from what we've discussed before. So some people say, which is my third fact, that eight varas are the familiars of uh, Lithuanian and Latvian witches and witches of Lithuanian and Latvian descent. So, yeah, it's very much that whole sort of idea that they would be in the sort of ancient pagan beliefs of these two countries. There was definitely a connection between the wise women of the village and nature, and they would go out into the woods to practice their magic, and the Varas lived in the woods, and the Varas 
don't like greed, therefore they like people that give back to their community, so there'll be this close relationship with them. So although they don't like to be kept as pets, they would be happy to be kept as pets by one of these wise women. And yeah, I think that's kind of where the link comes from, the whole idea of women who practice witchcraft are the brides of Satan, therefore the Varar messengers of Satan, whereas actually, well, I think that's all very inaccurate. Although Satan has petted Varar's fair play to him, but I don't think there's a correlation there. I mean, I do have tales of fire and he lives in a fiery place, according to Christians, so be a perfect place for them. True. <laughs> I'm sure they'd be quite <laughs> happy there. And maybe he uses them, you know, to punish the greedy that go to hell. Actually, yeah, fair point. Like, if greed's a sin, maybe he just, like, maybe that's how they get into the forest. Maybe he sends them out to... Actually, now it's all adding up. He sends them out to burn <laughs> the greedy. And also, while they're out, they're like, by the way, everyone, I don't know if you've thought about it, but maybe Christianity's not that great. We <laughs> are messengers of Satan, but they're still good wee guys, so it's fine. I imagine that you are thinking that you would like a pet Vara of your own. I certainly am. And you're wondering, how would you go about getting one? Because, like, do you just go into the woods and... And pick an Eitvara egg out of a nest. Like, how, how does it work? Eitvaras are believed to have very long lifespans, but they are also believed to be infertile, which obviously means that they can't have babies. So where did the first Eitvaras come from? The myths teach that if either A, a cockerel or a rooster, rather than a chicken, lays an egg and sits on it until it hatches, or B, a witch incubates a boar's testicle under her armpit, <laughs> my favourite hobby <laughs> um, which hatches from the egg or which hatches from the testicle will not be a chicken nor will it be a piglet it will be a baby eight vara so that is where baby eight varas come from um, any thoughts or feelings on that well, I quite like the mad way that they, they sort of reproduce or how they were they originated. It sort of links into one of my cryptids that I'm going to talk about later. Ooh, I'm intrigued. Mm, well, it's probably one that everyone's heard of, but not as much as all the, the sort of standard cryptids like the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, Yeti, all of that, which we're not going to bother with. No, Do your own research. At some point in time, but, but not today. Right, will I tell you a little story about an Eight before we move on to your creatures? Please do. Because you know I like my little stories. I do. So there was once a newlywed woman who moved on to her husband's land. We shall call her Julie because her name is not in any of the stories. Julie was always telling her pals that she had concerns as no, no matter how much grain she ground, the grain bin was always full the next morning. Because as we all know, marrying into a wealthy family with unlimited produce is apparently worrying. Julie makes a lot of sense. <laughs> when okay. required at dinner one night, why this might be, she was told by her husband, we'll call him Steve, that it had all... <gasps> Hold way. on. That's so weird, Mark, because my aunt is called Julie and her husband's called Steve, so now I think it's about them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> we will call them Leslie's uncle Steve. Okay. So Leslie's uncle Steve <laughs> told her actually um, that it had always been that way since his mum, who I'm going to call Sasha, bought the grain barrel. So he said, my mum sitting over there, she's also at the dinner table, she lives with them. She bought the grain barrel. Since we got the grain barrel, we've always had loads of grain. The end? You would think the end. 
But oh no, fucking Julie goes to the church and gets a a concentrated, a consecrated candle and then goes back home and when her husband falls asleep, creeps out and hides in the barn. What is Julie's problem? I don't know. And then (laughs) in the dead of night, she sees an eight vara filling the grain bin. So Julie's nice. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm glad your thoughts were the same as mine, but apparently not the same as Julie's. So Julie sees this, and Julie lights the constant. Why can't I say consecrated? Consecrated candle from the church, and runs screaming at the Vara and thrusts the candle at it. No, I know she's a bitch. (laughs) Fact. Nate Mara freaks out, as you would do if somebody screamed at you and shoved a candle in your face. Screeches and flies off out of the barn, and it never, ever returns. It turns out, when Julie inquires further the next day, after being told that that was just the way it was and she should just leave it, that the Vara was actually Sasha's familiar, because Sasha was a witch. And Sasha then spent the remainder of her days in the grips of a depression because her pet would never return. That's sad. Julie, I hate Julie. I hope that all you out there hate Julie. What a bit. I mean, Sasha, could she not have punished Julie in some way for like scaring off her nice pet? I mean, she should really have put a hex on her. Definitely, or turned her into a, a creature. Or the Vara could just have come back and given Julie the etching curse that they can put upon people burned the church to the ground and then just carried on living in the farm but no sadly it never came back i feel like all of my cryptid stories that i've told or mythological creature stories that i've told on this so far all end in and then the lovely creature never came back like there's a theme really but then the thing the, with the the creature never coming back is it same it seems to me that it was never kept as a pet it was there because it wanted to be yeah like I think that the Vara and Sasha were like pals like you know they were just hanging about doing a bit of witchcraft together having a laugh and fucking Jilly comes along and tries to burn it <laughs> maybe they should have just been honest with her from the start and introduced her to the the eight Vara and she might have got used to it. Or See, she would have just always been a bitch and decided to get rid of it. Why would you want to get rid of something that gives you constant, like, grain? Yeah. When I read it, I was like, yeah, actually, maybe Steve and Sasha are at fault because they should just have said to her, look, here's here's the tea, here's what's going on. But then I thought, actually, the fact that her reaction to extra grain was to, like, run cry into the church and be like, please give me a consecrated candle to, like, thrust at my family... Like, ah, she just seems like she was a bit of a dick. Don't know why Steve married her. I think Steve should, that's definite grounds for divorce there. Yes. Or throw, throw her in a, a, a lake or something. If ever there was grounds for divorce or throwing your wife in a lake, <laughs> it's this. <laughs> well, that um, leads on nicely to what I'm going to talk about. Not so much lakes, but seafaring. So Ooh. as the weather outside is quite windy and um, stormy out there not great weather for fishermen i'm gonna talk about the kraken Ooh, a fine choice so besides being a splendid rum and this isn't like you know i'm not like reaching out to the makers of the kraken rum to give me some rum but that would be nice i genuinely do love the kraken rum it's very nice dark rum um the kraken is 
I'm sure people probably heard of it if they've ever seen like Pirates of the Caribbean movies or even like you know drinking the rum. The Kraken is a sea creature that like that looks like a giant squid and can basically can grab ships and pull them all down to their deaths. That's how big this thing is. So have you heard many stories about the Kraken, Mark? What do you think of this creature? Well, as you know, I uh, live by the sea. So there are many many stories of the Kraken from um, the old sailor down the docks, which makes it like a prostitute. So if you the extra buck, people are always talking about the Kraken. Um, yeah, I'm quite fascinated by the idea. Like you say, I enjoy the rum. Where I live, we have a huge festival. We have, I mean, this is very pagany. It makes me very happy. They have a huge festival here every year, which is the Oyster Festival, which is obviously a celebration of the roots of everything coming from the sea. And there's always um, Kraken-based produce when we're there. Uh, for example, last time they had the festival, it's like a three-day festival. And one of the parts of it is they have a big sort of craft fair where people come and sell local wares. And there was lots of Kraken-based objects. And my friend, Estre, who I work with, shout out to Estre, who I work with, she bought a like fabulous handmade lamp that was like a sort of glass squid tentacle. And then the lampshade on it was covered in depictions of the Kraken. So yes, I'm aware of the Kraken and, and their work in both sinking of ships and the arts. And I'm a big fan. How the Kraken sort of legend came about is if you imagine back um, before we had, like, the world was mapped out and we knew where everything was and how far away everything was, you imagine how vast the oceans were to people who had, like, simple sailing ships back then. And you imagine you're a sailor, you're a pirate or something, you're looking out over the vast ocean seas and you think, what lies beneath there? And apparently back in medieval times, people just took to guessing what could be swimming under the Earth's oceans. Um, So Europeans, for instance, just assumed that for a long while, every land critter had its own counterpart in the sea. So there'd be like sea rhinos, sea cows, sea giraffes, (laughs) sea monks, (laughs) and sea bishops. (laughs) (laughs) Sea monks and sea, and sea bishops. Yeah, yeah, like the aquatic representatives of the human race. So there was an aquatic world, and then there was like the land world, which is mental. <laughs> that makes me really happy. <laughs> so they would just start like sort of guessing, and then that led to sort of like, well, what kind of beasts might lie under the sea that could come and get us? So occasionally they might come across big islands that they think, oh, what's this big island? There's some sort of land. Let's go and um, land on this and have a party and go and explore. But it turns out these islands, they weren't an island. It was actually the body of a massive beast. Ooh. So like a whale or some say this thing sort of evolved into what is known as the Kraken. Now the Kraken was... It didn't target humans specifically because if you think about how big the ocean is and how deep it is, it's like throwing a grain of sand into the ocean. You know, you, the chance of you coming across one of them is very slim. But what the kraken would do is it would eat fish by opening its massive maw, its big beak, and it would suck in all the fish 
And then what it would do is, after a while, it'd regurgitate all those fish so that the regurgitated fish would be like bait floating around in the sea. But to sailors, it would look like bubbles and it would look like it would attract the fishermen because by spewing up all its dinner it attracts other fish to the kraken so it was something that sailors would know about if there's loads of schools of fish that they could get if they got a really good fishing day then that meant there was a kraken about because it had just spewed up its dinner and it was attracting loads of other fish but the danger was obviously the risk was if you were going to fish around a kraken's spew then you might get caught in the kraken's mouth because the kraken uses its its like regurgitated dinner to eat all the other fish and it would just swallow them all, suck them all in. So it was like a sort of never-ending circle of <laughs> it eating the fish, spewing it back up, attracting other fish, and then eating those fish. Which is similar to what a sort of actual real giant squid would do. They think that there's not a lot of evidence for the giant, like because they're so elusive, they're like they, they live in the depths of the ocean, so it's really hard to find them. But when they do, they, they think they, they theorize that some of them can um, grow to as much as forty feet long, Ooh. which is insane. Or they could even they could be bigger ones out there, and they just sort of hover in the ocean. They just sort of like lie in wait for fish to come to them, and then they grab it with their tentacles and then just slowly eat them. They don't swallow them whole, they just gradually bite, like, take a bite out of them. So it's not a very nice death for the, the fish that it's grabbing. No, that sounds quite horrendous. So that's what the, the kraken would normally do. So these, so it was actually quite a good thing for fishermen, but it was also very risky for them because the kraken could also somehow grab their grab them and eat them as well. Also, the origins of the kraken is in Norway, so it's mostly Nordic. So perhaps the most detailed description of the kraken comes from the Danish historic, historian Erik Pontopidan, in his Natural History of Norway, from 1755, he notes that the beast is round, flat and full of arms or branches and is the largest and most surprising of all the animal creation. He cites various fishermen who unanimously affirm, and without the least variation in their accounts, that if you row out several miles into the Norwegian Sea in the summer, you're in serious danger of falling victim to the kraken. You'll know when you start reeling in an inordinate amount of fish. It's the kraken you see that's scaring them towards the surface, but escaping from its clutches is not impossible. Accomplished rowers can hightail it out of there, and when they find themselves out of danger, they lie upon their oars, and after a few minutes, they see this enormous monster come up to the surface of the water. Its back is a mile and a half in circumference and looks like a number of small islands. So that was the echo of another mythical sea creature I mentioned earlier, the island whale, Mm -hmm. a beast so huge that sailors mistake it for land and anchor to it. Once they build a fire on its back, obviously that would piss it off, drags them all to their doom. (laughs) There's a picture I can see of one of these um, island um, beasts, and it's quite cute. It looks like a giant sort of um, seal with a sort of lion's mane of tentacles and lots of whiskers. And it's got two sort of human-like eyes. That does sound quite cute. But the kraken is um, more dexterous in its attack. It's observed like sandbanks, of which various kinds of small fishes are seen continuously leaping about um, until they roll off into the water from the sides of it, because... It, it it hunts fish. It doesn't really give a shit. It doesn't actively seek out pirates or boats. It's just that the boats come to the Kraken because there's loads of fish there. I mean, yeah, it doesn't sound like a bad guy. And I feel like that sounds quite realistic. <laughs> like, I'm convinced. 
Yeah, so I'm, I think it's really interesting about the Kraken that it is, it is potentially a real animal. It's just, it's inspired by the, the giant squid. I don't know whether back then they were aware of giant squids, and it's just a coincidence that later on scientists actually discovered these these creatures, which I'm sure the Japanese probably hunt, like they hunt everything else to eat their sushi or whatever. <laughs> so, and the giant squid, they've got like this big, big eye and these sort of long tentacles um they yeah they can grow up to an astounding 40 feet long it can't muck up waters around it with poop but it certainly does like could muddy waters with a blast of ink so maybe that's where they came up with the idea that it spewed up its food food to attract fish but it was actually ink from a giant squid that would make sense yeah and if hauled up by fishermen they will ink itself in self-defense so some species will quite i find this weird as well i need i need to look more into this some species will quite cleverly also deploy mucus with the ink to create pseudomorphs false bodies that distract would-be predators so what is that does that what does that say to you do you think that means that it creates sort of fake squids to distract them it would also tie in with what you said, though, because say if it all clumps together, but it's like the, when your description earlier and you said that they would describe it rising to the surface and being a like large, flat creature, well, I suppose if you sprayed ink and then sprayed some sort of like coagulant material into it, that if the ink just became thick and writhed like it was alive, it would take up a huge surface area. So actually, that then would look like a giant, flat creature. So maybe the kraken's actually still on the base of the seabed and the giant flat creature that the sailors are seeing is this mixture of ink and goopy stuff (laughs) that you're talking about. Like, that seems to make sense to me. And also what I found interesting when I was reading about the giant squid is that can you guess who its mortal enemy is in the sea? Well, I'm going to ridiculously guess Kanye West because when you said Kanye West, that's what I said for a second. You so is the mortal enemy of the giant squid Kanye West? I mean, I'm pretty sure he would be everyone's mortal enemy in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> Let me have a more logical guess. The blue whale. Well, you're close. It's actually the sperm whale because it's got a beak that reveals what the giant squid spends its life trying to avoid, which is sperm whale, because they found several beaks of giant squid inside the stomachs of sperm whale, because that's the only bit that the whale has a hard time digesting. It's also not uncommon to come across living sperm whales with their circular scars around their mouths. Um, The telltale signs of battles with enormous squid, desperately flailing their arms and digging into their foes with serrated suckers. So... If you imagine like this big wood battle in a sperm whale, that's that's quite an image. It is quite an image. I, again, like it kind of if you think of the sailors of old, like if they thought they saw a monster fight and they were like, oh, it was a a living island versus the kraken. Well, if you looked out to sea and saw a sperm whale fighting a giant squid, it would be quite reasonable to be like, that's a kraken, that's an island that's alive, and they're battering each other. And also, maybe that's why it might have brought down some ships because if you're a, a, the kraken looking up at or your giant squids looking up at what looks like it could be a sperm whale like the hull of a boat you think well fuck him i'm going to get him and then grab him and it turns out it's not a sperm whale but you think oh well what the hell i may as well just pull it down anyway actually yeah again that makes perfect sense because the it's the same as like 
sharks don't actually attack people, but they attack surfers because when like you're on the you're yeah, you're like outline on top of the water looks like a seal. Well, yeah, if you think of what a sperm whale looks like moving through the water, and then you think of the bit of a boat that would be under the water, well, they look the same. So yeah, it's I'm I'm very much convinced that krakens are real. Well, there is an even bigger um, squid called the colossal squid that apparently stalks the waters of Antarctica. I mean, how colossal is it? I mean, if a squid, if a giant squid can get up to like 40 meters, how big is this colossal squid? That I don't even is it 100 feet tall? <laughs> but when you think of how deep, how it's actually really scary, deep bodies of water. If you think how big things can fit down there. There's also like multiple different kinds of sea creatures, like from all different classes of sea creatures. So it's not specific to like insects in the sea or mollusks in the sea or fish in the sea. There's like breeds within all of those that can grow exponentially in cold open water. It's like the like um, carp are an example of that. So that's why... If you have a goldfish in a bowl, it'll only grow to a certain size. But if you put a goldfish in a like aquarium tank in a cold country, it can grow huge. It's not actually that giant carp are a different species from goldfish. It's just that if you're cold and you're given enough space, you can grow huge. So, yeah, if you think of the size difference between a goldfish and a giant carp or between a like sea snail and uh, what are the giant seas, like the biggest giant sea snails called? I think they're... I think they're just called like mon- I, I, I might have gone mad, but I think they're called monster snails. But size <laughs> different creatures. Then yeah, it would make sense that if a giant squid can be forty feet long, then why could the kraken not be infinitely bigger? Yeah. Yeah, I think the kraken is some sort of malevolent creature that deliberately targets ships and pulls them down to their deaths. But actually, it's just it's just a, a normal thing. Just try to live its days in the ocean, minding its own business. <laughs> I don't think it's particularly like evil or anything. Yeah, it's just um, an act. Like when you get to the bottom of the sea, I'm sure even though all the sailors have drowned by then, the kraken's like, oh, sorry, lads. <laughs> I find it. I do find it fascinating that it's something that sounds mental, but actually has a base like a mix of myth and real life, like. It's a mixture of fact and fiction because no doubt that they did see giant squids or maybe something did surface. They maybe witnessed things like like giant squids or something like that, and then embellished it to what became the kraken in their tails. I mean, fairy tails. Yeah, I don't. It's more than possible. I also think though that from what you told me, it's more than possible that there just are actual krakens because there's no reason why there couldn't be a creature that big in the sea. And there's no reason why few, why so few people would have seen it because the sea is vast. The sea is so deep that it could just be hiding somewhere. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's lots, so many, like you say, there's so many undiscovered creatures out there, and because of cryptids, it's inspired people to go out and and try and find um, and record evidence of these creatures. So they have only just scratched the the surface, so to speak. Of finding these things or the depths of the ocean, they found giant squids. They they've they haven't documented one, but they they're tales of a colossus squid out there. So there's no reason to think that there couldn't be a bigger one like the kraken out there as well, like <laughs> like Godzilla something. I mean, I, yeah, I find it perfectly convincing. I'm less convinced on the sea bishop from earlier, but but the kraken, the Eleven Island, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm on board with. I mean, it'd be a sea pope, wouldn't there? <laughs> <laughs> 
CP to files, see like everything. I like going back to your whole like sort of land sea air thing earlier, like where where are all the like sky bishops? Yeah. Sky dinos. Yeah, but maybe they just see the sky as sort of like the heavens and that's where the gods live or gods and his angels live, not when you go there after you die. But I don't know, that's strange that they would think that in the oceans it's just the same as Earth, but under the sea, a bit like bedrobs and broomsticks or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Do you remember but, bed knobs and broomsticks? I do. I loved bed knobs and broomsticks. I used to walk, like whenever I was off school, sick when I was in primary, and uh, my grandma would look after me. We would always watch bed knobs and broomsticks. Big fan. Well, I think that's really all I can say about the Kraken is that I mean, would you want to encounter one when you're out at the sea or? Uh, <laughs> I'm aware you might drown me, but yes, <laughs> I would love to encounter one. It just sounds so fascinating. I think the only um, encounter I'd like with the, the Kraken is um, a nice glass of Kraken rum. That'll do me. In my mind, that meant that you would like the Kraken to come to the pub and you could share a glass of Kraken rum together, which I think would be lovely. don't know how it would fit in the pub, but I think it would be lovely. I think th- I genuinely think that there have been ship attacks by giant squids, um, potential like mini Kraken or even the Kraken itself. I think I think it, it could be true. Yeah, I'm... Um, um, down with that being real. I think it's very convincing. And to be honest, I think that quite a few cruise ships could do with having a Kraken pull them down to the depths of the ocean because it's filled with the most reprehensible people imaginable. Maybe the Kraken and the Vara could work together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm now hoping, because I, I know you've looked at a, a seconds creature, and now that we've had one that operates in the sky and one that operates in the ocean, I feel like we're building a good superhero team. Um is, is your next creature a creature of the land or a creature it's of the world? It's a creature of all three. Oh. Oh, no, wait, no. It's just a creature of, it's not a creature of the sea, it's a creature of land and air. So I'm covering all three elements. So the kraken is a sea creature and then my next creature is a creature of land and air. Fabulous. Um, so what's your next creature? My next creature is the creature specifically of the land. It's another um, forest creature, but it's one that can't fly. Okay, and is it big or small? Um, <laughs> the size matters. I suppose that depends in comparison to what. In comparison to the Kraken, very small. In comparison to the Vara, fairly big. Okay, well, what's it called? Uh, it is called the Okapi, or just Okapi, in much the same way that, like, Nessie's called Nessie. Um, So Okapi is the Republic of Congo's most well-known cryptid. There have been many people who have reportedly spotted him, the first sighting reportedly took place over 2,000 years ago. He lives in the dense Aturi forest and is a chimera, which I suppose technically in itself is another kind of cryptid, isn't it? So a chimera is a creature that is made up of parts of other creatures. So Okapi would fall into that category. The reason he would fall into that category is because he has the... I didn't realise until now that there was this connection between the two creatures, which is odd, because I researched them and wrote it down. Uh, He has the head of a monitor lizard, the body of a river hog, the neck, ears and antlers of an antelope, and the tail and legs of a zebra. And he's roughly about the size of a river hog. So that would be the What is a river hog? Is it just like a pig? It's a pig that is semi-aquatic. So, folks out there, why don't you try drawing what you think that is? Yeah. What fact, would that look like? Draw it and um, upload it on your Instagram and tag us in it, and we'll have a, a, a Chimera drawing contest. 
So yeah, size-wise, it's about the size of a river hog, which I suppose to put it in the context of a creature that people might have seen, it's probably about the size of like a pit bull, I would guess. The dog, not the international singing sensation. So <laughs> about the size of Pitbull the dog. So well, it's different colours. So the head is that kind of greeny brown that a monitor lizard is. The neck, ears, well not and antlers. The antlers are the colour of antlers, so a sort of bone colour. But the neck and ears are a sort of dark brown, again like a antelope would be. Uh, the body is so river hogs are you know you get those pigs that are that kind of rusty color mm-hmm. so river hogs are that color so it's got a rusty colored body and then the tail and legs are like a zebra so the tail and legs are black and white striped so actually all the different sections of it look like they belong to totally different animals and are also marked entirely differently okay what does it do so i shall tell you by giving you a couple of facts about it it's believed that if you spot and pet an akapi or the Okapi, your life will be filled with good luck. So again, there's the link between the first creature, it's like a lucky creature. So they, the forest they live in is very, very dense, and I keep calling them they, I'm insistent that he has a family. <laughs> also keep wanting to call him she, even though he is the pronoun that's always used. He's very elusive, and the forest is very dense, so a bit like a Bigfoot vibe, very difficult to spot, but if you spot him, uh, he's supposed to be quite friendly and will let you pet him if you're a good person. So if you're good, you spot him, he'll know you're good, he'll let you pet him, and that'll bring luck into your life. Uh, he also has the superpower that he can appear and disappear at will. So if he's out in the forest and somebody who's a bit of a tube and doesn't deserve good luck approaches him, he'll just vanish. Not by running into the trees, he just won't be there anymore. <laughs> Like it was, I was thinking as a predator when it goes like you know because it can cloak itself, but then it's not vanishing like the cappy. Are we well, happy? Cappy? Maybe it can just cloak itself like the predator because that would look like it vanished. Yeah, and then it can just stare in disgust at the tube that's coming out of the forest. Yeah, rolling its eyes, being like, "Ah, oh. mm. <laughs> you're not getting any luck." Do you want a wee story about a tube that went to look for it? Yes, please. Okay, so in 1901, the explorer Sir Harry Johnson. <laughs> have you heard of him your fan of sir harry um no he sounds like maybe one of boris johnson's ancestors so immediately I mean, hear him already i think you might be right on that one like again the barra would would definitely burn his house uh so he went to the congo to track okapi down i feel like the fact that he just one afternoon in 1901 was like i'm going to the congo does have a very tory vibe to it like all right yeah and he's probably got you know one of those fatty hats on those um, fatty hunting suits with his big blasting gun and the like the guy from jumanji exactly what he was wearing he, he does look like the guy from jumanji <laughs> yeah. so he returned to england with the bones of okapi who he claimed he had spotted and right at the spot where it went invisible, shot and killed it. Uh, He was ridiculed by the people of the Republic of Congo because there had been other sightings of Okapi since his visit. So they were like, I don't know what you shot, pal, but you've no shot Okapi. And he was ridiculed by the English members of the Royal Zoological Society who said that quite clearly on investigation, what he had actually done was got a bag and put the bones of a horse, a pig, and a goat in it, and just kind of shook it about. So it's like man bear pig from South Africa. Exactly, <laughs> he tried to make a chimera by just getting some animals' bones and throwing them in a bag and being like, like "What? You know?" He's the Al Gore of the 1900s. 
<laughs> I'm super serious, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I've got another um, couple of Okapi facts for you before we move on to, to your second cryptid. Mm-hmm. So, this is why I love Okapi, and also why I kept referring to Okapi as they instead of he. Okapi is no longer actually classed as a cryptid, um, as it turns out that he is actually real. Wow. Uh, Can you go to the zoo and look at one? There are several zoos in the world where they have Okapis in an Okapi breeding program. Scientists now think that there's about 6,300 Okapi in the Ituri forest, which makes it even more amazing that... They're very, very rarely spotted because the Aturi forest isn't a huge forest. So the fact that there's about 6,300 of them currently living in the forest is quite amazing. They can, as far as we know, appear and disappear at will. But their black and white legs, which look like zebra legs, match the black and silver low-level vegetation in the Aturi forest. Their river hog-like bodies, which are the that sort of rusty colour are the colour of the tree bark of the most common tree that grows in the Aturi forest, which again has a really rusty colour. And their, I would say their their face, while I can understand why people would describe it as being reptilian, I think they kind of have faces a bit like a sort of cuter version of a hyena. <laughs> their faces and their eyes, their eyes are really, 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 really light, almost white blue, uh, blend in with the flowers in the Aturi forest because they've got these big... Uh, blooming kind of greeny brown flowers and then they've got all these little flowers that are a very very sort of whitey blue and so scientists think that the reason that locals thought it could appear and disappear at will is because actually if you spot one in the distance in the forest and it stands entirely still you genuinely cannot see it because every part of its body is perfectly camouflaged to the level that that part of its body sits at that's brilliant i love it Um, when they captured some of them and took them to zoos, which is kind of sad, but apparently they're perfectly happy in the zoos, and the zoos they're in are all a Royal Zoological Society approved, so they're like no cruelty to animal zoos, they've got good breeding programs, they've got lots of space for the animals to move around. Uh, they ran DNA tests on the Okapi specimens that they collected, all of whom are alive, they haven't killed any of them. And the DNA test showed that when they compared them to the what they thought was a horse bone that Sir Harry Johnson had collected, that it is in fact the case that Sir Harry Johnson was a complete total and utter prick, as he actually did shoot <laughs> in and then bag the bones of what he believed to be the world's only Okapi. So he genuinely did spot an Okapi and think, oh, that is this mythical creature, and then shot it in the face. Oh, what a dick. prick. But- I'm glad he got mocked. Yes, I'm glad he was mocked until the day he died and didn't know that he'd actually... Yeah, because if he did know, then he'd probably go out and shoot all of them and then eat them all in a giant banquet in his shitty house back in Tory town. Evil Tory scum thing. (laughs) So um, before we move on to our our final cryptid, uh, what's what's your thoughts on Okapi? Did my story make you happy? (laughs) It did. It made me happy, as happy as an Okapi. <laughs> I'm glad. I loved it. But I thought, did you not want to end on that one instead of mine? We've, we've, we've done this in the wrong order. Over, but it's grand. It's <laughs> right, well, my next cryptid is um, we're going to go over to the um, US of A because this creature originated in southern New Jersey and in Philadelphia folklore. It's called the Jersey Devil. Ooh. 
Now, this creature is said to inhabit the pine barrens of South Jersey, and it's often described as a flying biped with hooves, but there are many variations. So it's sort of like a cross between a goat with bat wing, and then it's got like the hooves of a deer. Okay, I can envision that. Have you ever heard of the Jersey Devil before? I don't know a lot about the Jersey Devil, Devil, but I have heard of the Jersey Devil before. Like, again, I don't really know a lot about it. I I assumed it had some sort of satanic appearance without ever having looked it up. So the description you're giving matches up. I can get why it's called a devil. Um, But no, I don't know a lot about it. It's also got little um, little hooves, you know, for hands, like a wee tied on a string. (laughs) And it's got a forked tail. Now, the reason why it's called the Jersey Devil is because it is originated back in the 18th century, first reported in 1735 by a family by the surname of Leeds. Um, So the origin of the legend is that there was a resident named Jane Leeds, also known as Mother Leeds. The legend states that Mother Leeds had 12 children and, after finding she was pregnant for the 13th time, cursed the child in frustration, crying that the child would be the devil. During 1735, Mother Leeds was in labour on a stormy night, and I think this is appropriate because it's quite stormy out there, and I'm Mm -hmm. looking at some windy trees, so maybe the Jersey Devil's hanging about out there, but, you know, it might have migrated over here. There could be a Scottish equivalent. Plenty of bats around here as well. So it was... So it was born in during a stormy night while her friends gathered around her. Born as a normal child, the 13th child changed to a creature with hooves, a goat's head, bat wings and a forked tail. Growling and screaming, it beat everyone with its tail before flying up the chimney and heading into the pines. In some oh, versions of the tale... <laughs> In some versions of the tale, Mother Leeds was supposedly a witch and the child's father was a devil himself. Some versions of the legend also state that there was subsequently an attempt by a local clergyman to exorcise the creature from the pine barrels. Barren, sorry, barrels. <laughs> so it's kind of similar to your, um, what is it, the eight var? Yeah, I was just thinking, I could imagine like the Jersey Devil having a pet eight vara. They've got, they've got a lot in common. They'd have stuff to chat about. So to the early 1900s for the series of reported sightings of the creature during 1909 the Jersey Devil was referred to as the Leeds Devil or the Devil of Leeds and my family are from Leeds so maybe they came over from Leeds to America this family or they just happened to have the surname Leeds and started this for attention I don't know it could be real that they created the Jersey Devil so why they weren't I don't know why they weren't yeah Maybe I'm related to them. But the thing is about the Jersey Devil is the family that that supposedly birthed this this creature is that they they didn't have any repercussions. It's not like they were burnt at stake as witches or anything. They just seemed to accept it. (laughs) Also, (laughs) sort of celebrated it. I feel like a lot of old witchcraft stories are like we had to burn her because like she cured seven orphans of an unknown plague, but she didn't use Jesus to do it. Whereas yeah, if they're in that story, they're like, so the woman actually cursed the baby herself. She turned it into a monster, and then her and her family terrified it until it fled up the chimney. Fine. Like, normally I think witches are good in stories, but she sounds like a bit of a dick. 
But then there's also a theory that the, the, the Leeds family didn't exist, but it was as a result of Benjamin Franklin, like a political dissing. So he had a rival called Daniel Leeds, who was a publisher, and it resulted in the Leeds family being described as monsters by Benjamin Franklin because he spread a rumour about them. And it was Daniel Leeds' negative description as the Leeds devil rather than any actual creature that created the later legend of the Jersey devil. But that doesn't sound as good. No, although I could imagine like that making sense because if you think of Donald Trump just now, I could see a press conference where somebody's <laughs> like, right, so Mr. Trump, there's like further evidence that's come up about the fact that you are an incompetent racist twat by uh, the Leeds publishing family and him being like, the Leeds publishing family? Well, let me remind everyone that they're monsters and his mum's a witch and his little brother <laughs> moves and flies up chimneys and then storm off the stage. One of them's a mad monkey child that runs rampant through the town. <laughs> um, so there, oh, there's more information about the Leeds family. So it says that Daniel Leeds' third wife had given birth to nine children, a large number of children even for the time. Well, I think that was probably fairly common. People didn't really tend to use a lot of prophylactics back then, so they would be popping out kids unless you were barren. Yeah. Um, so Leeds' second wife and first daughter had died during childbirth. As a royal surveyor with strong allegiance to the British Crown, Leeds had also surveyed and acquired land in the Egg Harbour area located within the Pine Barrens. The land was inherited by Leeds' sons and family and is now known as Leeds Point, one of the areas in the Pine Barrens currently most associated with the Jersey Devil legend and alleged Jersey Devil sightings. So people now, even now, have seen claim to have seen this Jersey Devil fly off. There's actually a video on YouTube that you can probably look up that it does look dodgy, but it looks like a little goat with wings flying off like in shadow across the screen. And then there's also a guy that had taken a picture of the Jersey Devil. When was this back in, well, as recently as in this last decade? Uh, yeah, it was like in 2015, 2015, this guy said that he'd taken a picture of the Jersey Devil, but someone said the photo resembles um, pretty much a taxidermied goat with bat wings from a child's Halloween costume affixed its back and flung into the grey skies on a wire or something. But then, but then computer, like the idea of you, you could have like a pet pygmy goat with dragon wings. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> the, guy, no the guy who took the picture um, said that either my mind is playing tricks on me or I just saw the Jersey Devil. So he's denying that it was a fake or a hoax picture. He said his name's Dave Black and he's from Little Egg Harbour, which I mentioned earlier, where this Leeds family supposedly had land and things. Well, they probably did. Um, so he told the New Jersey.com's Lifestyle and Paranormal Activity reporter that as he drove past a golf course this week, he had, quote, to shake my head a few times when I thought I saw a llama, end quote. The creature was running through the trees, Black said, and then it, quote, it spread out levery wings and flew off over the golf course end quote <laughs> 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 he refuses to elaborate on what he thinks may have been an encounter with the fabled monster South Jersey which as the tales go was either a 13th child born of Mother Leeds a 17th century settler or some remnant of Native American mythology mm, I don't know I think it's more something that white people made up to be honest with you <laughs> 17th century resident just in the middle there like <laughs> oh the jersey devil yeah his name's uh chris he moved to the town when he was 
17, he worked in the sawmill, played Meagle with dragon wings, as you know, and then he retired out to the Pine Barrens. <laughs> but a, a, a lot of people have said that they've also witnessed a strange wind, wind creature that has been flying about um, the forest and things. <laughs> but I don't think the Jersey Devil... I don't know whether he brings luck or bad luck or what what it does. I say he, I don't really know what gender it has. I don't. They didn't say what child, what sex the child was that was born and turned into this thing. Hmm. Gender <laughs> construct anyway. So whatever the Jersey Devil identifies as, I support them in that. According to this, the the, the Daniel Leeds was a young Quaker. He came to America in the late 1600s. Leeds got involved in government and started writing an almanac. But before long, he earned the ire of neighbours who didn't appreciate his interest in pagan ideas about astrology, angels and magic, or his allegiance to the royal governor of the colony and the British in general. So they accused him of being evil and wrote pamphlets with titles like Satan's Harbinger. Is it Harbinger or Harbinger? Encounted. Harbin? I think it's Harbinger, I think. Being something by way of answer to Daniel Leeds. So it starts off as a political thing rather than a witchcraft occult thing. And then to accuse someone of being a devil was the worst thing you could do. But, you know, I think for a sort of legacy to have birthed the Jersey Devil, that's quite cool. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's not the worst thing that anyone could have done. Oh, it says that Motherly... The the tale there's tales of Mother Leeds consorting with the devil of pine rats descended from Tories and guzzling local whiskey and a right. storm, you know. <laughs> oh, pine rats descended from Tories. Yeah, I don't understand what they mean by that. <laughs> also, I feel like that's a jump because it's just like there are stories that uh, Mother Leeds definitely was shagging the devil and that that may have resulted in her goat baby. Also, there was some people down the street <laughs> that were Tory and um, <laughs> they, they gave birth to rats, as many Tories do. <laughs> Moving on. But then maybe like back then they might have had incestuous like liaisons of people and then had deformed babies that could look like the devil or am I just nah <laughs> I mean possibly I feel like with the rats one it could be like did you ever hear that now this going back to last week might be an urban myth but I'm fairly sure this is true about the woman that was insistent that she kept giving birth to rabbits every couple of weeks what what she was actually doing is <laughs> Again, I have no further information on this, so it might be an urban myth. But it transpired what she was actually doing is going to the pet shop, buying newborn bunnies, putting them inside of herself, then doctors, and being like, it's happening again, and squeezing out bunnies. That's sort of like a so, reverse gerbil story, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Everything's coming together. <laughs> Maybe they also said the story party in the, what's it, the Pine Barrens area were just jamming rats up themselves. Like, you never know. Could be. And then they were also, like, like brewing some sort of moonshine, like, illegal whiskey, and drinking far too much of that. So the point where they started hallucinating, thinking they'd seen the devil, it said under the influence of liquid Jersey lighting, lightning, like maybe, like, oh, what's that name? White, White lightning? lightning? White <laughs> lightning? <laughs> It's like the equivalent of an Ed going into the forest with some um, white lightning cider and saying, oh my God, I've just seen a, a, 
a bear with the satanic voice and it looks like the devil or something. Yeah. And it was probably just our pal Mick wow. with his pants down. <laughs> <laughs> so interestingly about the Jersey Devil is that Jersey have embraced the Jersey Devil as um, an official state demon. And in 1982, it became the name of their ice hockey team. But it doesn't really even come from New Jersey. It comes from Jersey. There's difference. Um, In the early 20th century, the legend got kind of rejuvenated by these guys at a dime museum in Philadelphia. I had no idea of the actual lead story. They just hear of this legend of a monster and think this would be a great way to drum up people to visit their dime museum. So it's a bit like how the Loch Ness monster drums up lots of tourism for, you know, that area in Loch Ness. Does it exist or is it just there to bring in tourists so it said by 1909 south jersey simply went into hysterics over reports of the devil wrote one contemporary describing how dime museums claimed to have caught it and how milkmen and servants described a combination of bat kangaroo and pony which isn't what originally looked like where are they getting that from no i'm trying to work out how those bits would go together as well we can add that to our drawing competition if you want to draw (laughs) Yeah, I'll how about we? Please do, magazine. How about we just do draw your own cryptic from like taking parts of different animals and then posting that on Instagram? <laughs> Be interesting to see what the results are of that. I'll have a go at it. Some said it was white, others said it was brown. Some saw it fly, others saw it travel by great leaps like a gigantic flea. In Philadelphia, budding businessman acquired a kangaroo glued on wings, <laughs> proclaimed it the Jersey Devil and rare Australian vampire and made it famous. A bit like the, um, have you heard of the Fiji mermaid? Yes, was it P.T. Barnum yeah. that owned it? Yeah, and it, he'd just taken like part of a fish and then glued it to some sort of mummified thing that he'd made up and called it the Fiji mermaid. I like that old uh, Sir Harry found the actual Okapi and everyone was like, you've just fucking glued a horse and a pig together. You can't <laughs> Barnum literally glued a monkey and a fish together. And people were like, wow. <laughs> so I, I love the idea of the Jersey Devil and that people are still to this day claiming that they've seen this creature. Put films of it on YouTube and t- supposedly taking a picture of it as well. So maybe that's like something that started off as some sort of political slur. Or a woman gave birth to a baby that she didn't like, so she just cursed it as being a, a monster and it ran off to live in the woods. Or after a while, it's become that people have willed it into reality, like something I want to bring up in a later podcast, when, like a tulpa. I'm very, again, I don't know a lot about this, but when you brought it up before, I'm very into you, you doing this in a future episode because it does sound very interesting. So I like the Jersey Devil. I think it's quite funny looking. It, it's got the head of the sort of baby from a razor head. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually know how it would ever get off the ground because, like, physically in the real world, the head looks, it's got a really long neck, it's got the, the head of a goat, tiny little hooves, and massive wings. I just, I don't know. But then the bumblebee can get off the ground, so could that, I guess. True. It doesn't seem to have any magical creatures, even though it's supposed to be born of the devil or something. I don't know. Maybe it's just see if there's any actual mythical f- facts about the Jersey Devil. I mean, I quite like the idea that, especially because, like, mm. if you look mm. again, where people are like, oh, if you manage to pet it, it brings great luck upon you and it has the power to disappear. And now that we've found them, it's like, yeah. Like, neither of those things are true. Although I suppose in a way they're both true because it can disappear because it can camouflage. And I feel like if you got to pet in a cappy, you would be lucky because they're really cute. So maybe the Jersey Devil's powers are also 
it's good at hiding and it would be nice if you got to pet one. Yeah, there doesn't really seem to be much more information about what the Jersey Devil actually does. It just hangs around the Pine Barrens in Jersey. It's not like if you view it, then something weird will happen to you. It's never really, I don't think it's ever actually attacked anyone. It just, just seems to exist in the, in the Pine Barrens. It doesn't do anything else. I feel like that makes it more convincing that it's real, though. Hmm. And if you think about if you spotted an actual animal, let's use pigeons again. If someone didn't believe in pigeons and we're like, well, what does a pigeon do when you see it? You'd be like, it's cuts about being a pigeon. <laughs> I think if someone sees it, it's just so weird looking that it terrorises them that way, that they're, they're scared of it. Apparently, posses were constantly formed to apprehend the devil, but to no avail. <laughs> but At one point, as much as $100,000 was offered for the capture of the Jersey devil, dead or alive. I mean... <laughs> It's weird because again, if it wasn't doing anything, like you would think someone would have posed the question, why? <laughs> why are we forming a posse to burn a goat dragon? It's just in the woods living its life. Le- and people genuinely keep. believe that this is a real creature based on records of concrete occurrences, reliable people, including police, government officials, businessmen. I mean, I don't think they're very reliable people, to be honest. And many others whose integrity is beyond question have witnessed the devil's activities. To this day, people travelling down the Garden State Parkway or Atlantic City Expressway reported sightings of something or tell stories of strange occurrences. Many continue to believe that the legendary being is still around, disturbing the region, and will continue to generations to come. But the thing is, they want to keep it a mystery because if they do actually discover it, someone proves that it doesn't exist, then their whole legend and like reason for people to go and visit the area to try and find the creature just sort of dissolves into nothing, doesn't it? I suppose because, like, going back to the Okapi thing and you're saying, can you see in a zoo? I think there's, like, five or six zoos in the world that now have Okapi breeding programs. So, yeah, you'd be less likely to go to the Republic of Congo to try and spot Okapi if you can just go to, especially if you live in Europe or in America or whatever, if you can go to, like, a zoo on the continent you're on and see them, that's going to save you a lot of money. So, yeah. It would, I suppose it would have a, a negative impact on the tourist industry. Now you might get people like Joe Exotic that want to collect all these cryptids and put them in their private zoos. And you need a hero like Carol Baskin to save them all. <laughs> and also put them in small cages and then feed their <laughs> husband to them. This doesn't relate to Chimera's. <laughs> uh, I'm holding them up as though anyone can see them. I got um, Carol, Carol Baskin uh, leopard slippers. They've made me so happy. Big Carol Baskin and Team Carol. Does it have her face on it or are they just like leopard print slippers? No, they're just by Carol Baskin. Slippers. They had a little uh, tag on them, but obviously I've taken the tag off because it would be uncomfortable oh. to wear them with it on. Like a big sort of round tag uh, that said that they were from her um, sanctuary but no with them off they're just, they're just oh my like god you need to post oh that on the insta page oh i shall i have to get them in large lady size because they don't actually do them for men um but you know i'm kind of a large lady so that's <laughs> <laughs> well there's many other cryptids out there such as the bigfoot the yeti there's loads of them and even some of them have, have claimed to have seen the chupacabra which is a famous one which is sort of like a a rabid kind of hairless wolf creature that feeds off of sheep like feeds off their blood sort of like a vampiric kind of creature yeah. and some people have um claimed to have seen them washed up on the shores of i think they're somewhere off the coast of new york where they've seen they've taken pictures of this creature that had washed up on the shoreline but someone said it was actually just the bloated corpse of a mangy a coyote that had just lost all its hair <laughs> I, mean, I don't know <laughs> poor coyote 
I don't know because it might not have been because it does does look incredibly weird. I do think there's things like chupacabras out there, and, and then there's the like the big cats of that supposedly wander around certain areas of England or even Scotland. Even you know when people claim to have seen big cats, panthers. Yeah. I think that's more realistic. They're not I'm, cryptids. They're just escaped zoo animals or something. Well, technically they are cryptids if they're at the moment because we don't know for a fact that they exist and that's kind of the definition mm. isn't it like a creature that we don't know whether it's real or not but but people report seeing it somewhere like i definitely think that as we go on and record more podcasts we could definitely do another few cryptid episodes because mm. there's lots of cryptids to talk about there's so many of them and i do believe that there are so many different weird creatures out there that have yet to be discovered I think mostly they're all insects or under the sea. There's so much of the oceans and seas that nobody's managed to explore as yet because it's just impossible for the, the, the pressure that's under there. Um, so maybe when more technology advances, if that ever happens, and people actively go out to try and explore these kind of deep ravines or trenches under the ocean, they might find or they might find a kraken. You never know. Yeah. Or, once again, a sea bishop. A sea bishop? They might discover the Vatican down there. You get it. Perfectly possible. Um, so before we, we kind of round up and decide on what we're going to look at next time, with our four sort of cryptos that we've focused on today, if you were to have one as a pet, which one would you like to have? I'd like to have one of those cappy things because they actually exist and they might give you good luck and they seem quite friendly because they want you to pet them. A fine choice. Yeah, I suppose you could easily like put one in a lead to take it for walks. It'd be more interesting than having a dog. Yeah, I wouldn't want an eight vara because I'd be worried that if I, because I like to shop online a lot and spend my money on like, <laughs> I mean I've literally just, my boyfriend literally just came in there with a package with some Adidas trainers that I just ordered which I've got enough shoes but I just, I'm bored in lockdown and I just want to order shit. So I think it would probably take offence to that and try and burn everything that I bought. Mm, I mean, you work hard for your money, so I think it would be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to take the risk, though. And plus, you couldn't really keep it as a pet because it's quite independent. And it, it can just piss, it, basically like a brownie, it can just, if you offend it, it'll just bugger off True. and never come back. I mean, I think my choice would be an eight vara, but I do take your point that it wouldn't really be my pet. But then again, the whole comparing them to kitten things, I feel like they're kind of like a cat. Like, you know, is a cat ever really your pet? It just does what it wants. It happens to live in your mm, house. Like that's that true. It, it decides to live with you, not the other way around. And, you know, when the cat leaves, it might be off to kill, like, mice and bulls, and that makes me feel quite uncomfortable. Whereas when the eight vara left, it would be off to burn Tories, so... <laughs> <laughs> And we all need that, especially especially in these times. <laughs> in these trying times, we need to send our cryptids to burn Tories. Exactly. They need to go. The world so, will be a better place. <laughs> it's, it's your choice next week, isn't it, what we're going to research for next week? I want to talk about space. Okay. So myths about space, travel, sci-fi, into the future. Things like that. I'm, I'm into that. It's a bit of a weird one, but I think there'll be interest. Like, see, like about how when space travel first came about, space explorations. Is there any myths around that, or even what what people thought about space and what the stars were? So you could look at astronomy 
or does that sound a bit boring? No, I quite like that idea. I think there's quite a lot to to cover there. So yeah, I'm I'm into that. Okay, so that'll be our topic next week. Fabulous. Oh well, um, hopefully this has been interesting. If you want to go and look into more cryptids, we can post some links on Instagram or just Google it. And, uh, <laughs> you can... <laughs> And please, I think it would be great if any of you would like to, you know, if you're bored, just draw us what you what you would like to be a cryptic of. Like you can draw what you think a Jersey Devil looks like, or what a cap Cappy looks like, or that's real. So, or you can make up your own cryptic, and then post it on our Instagram page, and let's see what you've got. So, what was the Instagram page called again? Uh, it is Crypto Myth Podcast, all the one word. Although I think if you just search Crystal Myth, two words, then we are the first one to come up anyway. So at Crystal Myth Podcast. Brilliant. So we'll um, leave it at that then. And I'll just say thanks for listening. We've reached over 100 downloads on our podcast. So I'm so grateful for everyone who's supported us so far. And hopefully you'll continue to listen um, to our chat <laughs> about yeah. random myths. Thanks, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And a quick shout out to our favourite cryptid, Yaz. Hi, Yaz. Yeah, Yasmin says she's going to come on at some point. So we need to figure out how to do a conference call sort of thing so we can all talk together. Um, also, if anyone out there, any of our listeners, have any suggestions about what they would like us to talk about for future podcasts, then again, pop us a comment on our Instagram page and we'll be sure to look into that or you can go on the itunes and you can like and subscribe and you can post a wee comment or review on there and i'm sure we'll look at that as well if you want to make any suggestions about future topics yes please do that would be lovely okay so um until next week guys that's us for cryptics on crystal myth i've been leslie anderson and you've been mark dorman i have it's true <laughs> so I'm just gonna say bye. Bye everyone. Bye. Crystal. Man.